0: Hey, you're listening to The Hook Rocks with Jay Scott. My name is Micah Morris from a little band from Denver called Fast Steady. Check out our new album, Take a Look, on Spotify and other streaming platforms now. Grandpa Wilbur was the first to be saved. He traveled the country playing on the church stage. They passed the hat, that was all he was paid. He was a dying breed long before his day, oh.
1: everyone, welcome back. It's Jay Scott. It is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Hope you're doing well out there. Thanks again for tuning in. Like I always mention, we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great network of music-related podcasts. You can catch some of my friends on their shows too as well, like Vinny Apice, Carmen peace on the Hanging and Banging Podcast, Martin Popoff, The Rock Historian, Mistress Carrie out in Boston, Decibel Geek, Tom and Zeus, my buddies on Shout Out Loudcast, Number one kiss podcast in the country, I believe in the world, possibly good on those guys and Mac from the ugly American werewolf in London podcast. They've all been on my show. Check out those episodes from uh, previous, uh, previous episodes that we've had on the podcast. All great dudes, all great podcasts and uh, check them out. Check out the hook rocks on all podcast platforms, whether it's Google, Amazon. Apple or Spotify. Don't forget to set your app to automatic download so you get the latest episodes. We've had some great ones recently with Joe Satriani talking his new album, Mark Tremonti, talking the great tribute album to Frank Sinatra, as well as Scott Gorham from Thin Lizzy. Hope to have him on again soon talking about the new live album with the Australian Symphonic Orchestra that's going to be released later in June. And some great new music spotlights, which is what we're really all about. Stone Broken and Bestet from the UK. We've also recently had on Band Inc., a band out of Boston, as well as next week, check out Micah from the band Fast Eddie, a band from Colorado that recently released a new album produced by Tuck Smith, who we're also a big fan of. And don't forget our recent live album review for Kiss Alive, where we talk the importance of the album's legacy what it meant to the band and what it meant to rock and roll uh, with that album. My next guest, I'm very happy to have on the show. I had the pleasure of speaking with Don Jameson during the the Dead Daisy show that he was opening up for. My son was with me, my 17-year-old son. And we went up to him after the show, introduced myself, and my son goes, hey, I've been watching you since I was like eight or nine years old. I used to watch that metal show with my dad. And Friday nights, and we'd sit there and we just watch the episodes. And that was his introduction to rock music. And, uh, got another member, another co-host of the, that metal show. Um, a guy that I've been listening to for a long time with his perspective on rock, a guy that's really at the front lines of rock and roll these days. And that is Mr. Eddie Trunk. What's going on, man? How are you?
2: Good, Jay. Good. Thank you. I appreciate uh, the intro and being back being back on with you. And uh some of those people you ran down on those other podcasts are friends and some great ones that I listened to or have been on as well. So that's very cool.
1: Yeah, man. It's it's a it's a pleasure to have you on. You know, like I said just now, you know, it was it was a great bonding over rock music with my son at an early age. He's now seventeen and watching those episodes of that metal show. he would ask me questions about the bands and showing i show we showing videos and now he's seen a lot of those bands that you had on the show so it was really important in his journey in rock and roll and uh great to share that with him and have you and that metal show a part of it
2: yeah well that means a lot to me and i appreciate that and i i hear that quite a bit from people which is really really nice uh it, it's it's yeah, I have always been somebody that just lives in the moment. I'm just always kind of on to the next. I never kind of ever stop for a minute and think of some of the things that I've done in the nearly 40 years I've been in this business and how it's impacted people. It, it never really dawns on me until I hear stories like that. And I hear them more and more just given the fact that I've been doing this so long and I have, uh I'm older. <laughs> I'm I'm way older. So It's it's nice to know that it's had an impact. And when I started out in this business as a kid, the whole reason was to spread the love of rock music and turn people on to bands, whether they be new bands or old bands they'd never heard of. And I meet a lot of young people and parents and have similar stories like yourself related to the TV show or my stuff in radio. It means a lot. It's really, like I said, at the core of the whole reason why I started doing this so many years ago.
1: That's awesome. And and we're going to get into that conversation about new rock and roll, new rock music, because I think it's such an important subject about the genre, where the music's going. But we do always start out with the same question. And I think I know the answer to this when it comes to you. Just like every rock song that has a hook that sucks you in, every rock band has a moment whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you?
2: Yeah, that's pretty easy. It was hearing a song called Go All The Way by a power pop band from Cleveland called The Raspberries. I was super young. I would have been about 10 years old. Backseat of my parents' car, AM radio. That song comes on, that big opening crunchy riff, segued against the real melodic choruses. And that was the first proper rock music in my mind that I had heard prior to that. I was listening to things like the Partridge family and cartoon music and what have you. And immediately when I heard that, I said to my parents, I got to get this record, got the 45, got the full album, got the whole catalog from the band, which is four albums. And that's, that's really the hook without a doubt.
1: Yeah. And it's a band too, that, really does not garner a lot of appreciation from a lot of the rock critics or or even rock fans and what they meant to rock music because there's a whole bunch of bands that have been influenced by the by the raspberries
2: yeah there there's the one the only real hit single they had actually was that song and they went through some changes but they the people who do know about them are super into them and know how important they are. Somebody like Nikki Six, for example, who I've talked to about the Raspberries, who Motley actually covered a Raspberry song as a B-side once. So they definitely had uh, a big impact and influence. And uh, even Paul Stanley has said he's a big Raspberries fan. You can certainly hear influence from the Raspberries, certainly on his 1978 solo record, among other stuff Kiss has done. So they definitely had influence made a mark there's kind of a secret society out there that loves them like me but outside of the one song it's a bit more of a unknown underground thing and they i was never old enough to see them play they had broken up in like 1973 so by i was no it probably would have been yeah probably yeah so probably around 75 maybe they broke up so I was never old enough to see them play, and then they actually reunited in the mid-2000s, and I was working at VH1 Classic at that time, and they I got a chance to, to not only see them, but interview them. They played in the studio for me, and then I went to their reunion show in Chicago and got to know those guys, and it was a very emotional thing for me because it was a band that I never, ever thought that I'd get to see live. I never thought even existed anymore. And then as I got older here, here I am, not, not only do I, do I get a chance to see them, but they know me, they had been watching me on TV. And next thing, you know, I'm hanging out with them and seeing them actually play and seeing them play that night in Chicago when the curtain dropped and they opened up with that song, it, I'll, I'll be honest with you, it was very, very heavy for me As uh, in terms of a moment. Uh, it was just my whole life coming full circle there.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of rock fans can relate to those moments, you know, when you see that band that you may not have seen or they were around before you really got interested in the genre and then all of a sudden they reunite. I remember feeling that way, Yeah, I know it wasn't a full reunion, but when I saw Jimmy Page and Robert Plant when they toured together in the 90s. Um, that was a huge moment for me because I'd become a huge Zeppelin fan prior to that, in large part because of my cousin. And to see, you know, one of the greatest vocalists of all time and the greatest, you know, one of the greatest guitar players of all time from one of the greatest bands of all time is that's a, as close as I'll get to them in terms of seeing the whole band. It was a special moment for me as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, those are heavy moments because they just connect on – on on so many different levels and for me i had never thought i'd have a chance to see that band play live and when they opened with those chords and the curtain dropped it just took me back to being backseat in my parents car and hearing that song for the first time and here i am finally seeing them live and yeah it way it was a it was a really heavy heavy moment that I'll, i'll never forget
1: when we think of rock music today current day may 2022 Prior to the pandemic, and the pandemic is, is still going on, as you know, and, and as, as many of us do, but there is...
2: Starting I Well, no, I just got over COVID, so <laughs> I'm, I, no one's more aware that it's still going on than yes,
1: me right now. Yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And
2: ap- apologies to your audience if I cough or wheeze. That's that's why I'm still dealing, but...
1: Yeah. No worries, no worries. Uh, yeah, I know you sent me that message last week that you were going through it and, you know, reliving it after you, you're telling me, because I, I had it in late winter... And I uh, had to spend Christmas and New Year kind of by myself in my house. It's not a lot of fun. And it, it still is no. out there. So, you know, you yeah, oh, yeah. that it's gone, that's not.
2: Unfortunately, it is not.
1: Yeah. But there is a, a, a sense of normalcy that is coming back slowly but surely. Faster sure. in some areas of the country than others. And when you think back before this all started, and you think where rock music was prior pandemic hit I think rock music has come back stronger in 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 a lot of ways I think a lot more young people are connecting with the music than ever before well I shouldn't say than ever before I should say in the last 20 years more so than in the last 20 years because I think there's a lot of great new bands that are coming out and it's you can't get away from it it still has an issue with relevancy it still has an issue of being the it being the orphan of the music industry, kind of the redheaded stepchild, where nobody wants to give it the credit that it deserves, either from past legacy artists to the new rock bands that are out there. When you think of where rock is right now compared to two years ago even, what are your thoughts on it?
2: Um I don't I don't know if I feel like there's been any real difference between when things stopped before pandemic and post pandemic. I think it's still sits kind of in the same space, but I've never been somebody that has subscribed to the theory that rock is dead or any of that nonsense that I think is pushed out there. I, I've never, I've never for a minute believed that. I think that, I think that it is under served in some ways in terms of the outlets it's given and the respect it's given and the, some cases the airplay it's given and certainly the seat it has in the media. But I, I, I think it's, I think rock is healthy. I think there's a ton of great, exciting new bands out there. I think that if you look at the live situation, they're, it's still pretty much one of, if not the dominant live draw. And if you look at streaming numbers, last I checked, I think rock was two or three overall in the most streamed category overall in music. And, and that that's, there are a lot of genres of music. That's, that's not, it wasn't as simple as like pop rock. There's probably 20 categories and out of those 20, Rock overall was somewhere at two or three the last stats I saw on streaming. So it just shows you that there absolutely is still a very passionate, large, loyal audience. I think where the disconnect comes is maybe not as prominent in radio. And also when you look at the big marquee events when it comes to music, whether it be the Grammys, whether it be the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, whether it be any of the awards-based shows, they, the, one of the problems is they are largely clueless and awful in their representation of rock, or they just completely ignore it. Uh, the, the Billboard Music Awards just happened. I mean, I didn't even watch. I didn't need to because I knew there'd be no rock representation. And my understanding is the person, the artists they gave the they, the artist they gave the rock award to because they had to give a token rock award out. My audience never even heard of, and I didn't either. So the the when you look at it from a media standpoint, the big mainstream media, they don't have a clue, and they are compl- the ones that even bother having a category for it. Don't even know what they're doing. It, it's it's blatant. It's blatant disrespect and blatantly not having a clue about it. So if you look at it from that perspective, the Grammys don't even show the rock categories. It's 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 ridiculous and it's sickening. But that to me does not have anything to do with the audience or the interest in the music to that audience.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. You know, in terms of you know these award shows, it's almost like they're trying to redefine and push a narrative of what rock music is right it's these elitists these music elitists these critics or whoever determines that stuff a lot of it as you know is is record companies paying these institutions whether it's the grammys or the rock and hall of fame to get their artists included in that stuff and it kind of it's almost like a corruption that exists and it's pushing out the artists that really deserve to be in those categories and also making it way more difficult for the young great rock bands that are out there to get noticed and to get an audience and to grow their audience.
2: Yeah, I mean, no doubt. I, I, I've said this often. How how horrible or or how difficult would it have been for the Grammys or the Billboard or Music Awards or the American Music Awards to put? to just give one rock performance, one rock slot and have it be one of the newer emerging rock bands. I mean, they they just, they just don't do it. It's, it's completely ignoring that world. And I think that, that, that is, uh, that, that's a big part of the perception and that's a big part of the problem in my opinion. And they just don't care about it. They just, because all of those Shows and events, including the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which, let's be honest, is a ticketed event in an arena. They've got to sell physical tickets and they've got to get a rating because it's on HBO. They've got to show that there's interest in it. I mean, all of them at the end of the day, they're just driven by the the flavor of the month or what they feel. Not so much the Rock and Roll of Fame, because that's a different criteria for getting in. But there's still there. There's a there's a disrespect and cluelessness on another level. How about if the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was really just about rock bands? If it really was, then you'd have a lot more in and then you could actually have a lot more diversity in it among older bands, newer bands and performances. And how about if the Grammys actually televised and put the rock category on for five minutes and had a great young band playing and people could actually see them and hear them instead of just burying it? So there's a lot of problems there. There's a lot of blame there. There's a lot of perception there, but I think it's driven by the fact that they, they don't care. They're largely clueless because all they're doing. And when it comes to the award shows is looking at whatever charts or streaming numbers there are. And you can, you can go right down the line. Like it's, it's cookie cutter. Every single one of them will have the same exact pop acts on and give the same awards to those acts. If there's four or five network award shows in a year, 90% of the artists that play and are celebrated and are given awards are the same exact artists. There's Because it's just follow the, the formula. There's no, there's no process to it at all. It's just, oh, that's what's working. Uh, last year it was Billie Eilish, this year it's Olivia Rodrigo. Okay, let's just give her every award. There's there's no vision, there's no process, there's no nothing. It's just that's the hot thing. Let's put them on in as many ways possible on this year's show because that's going to get us ratings, attention, interest. And what's amazing about it is they keep doing that year in and year out. And it doesn't get them that. It erodes the, the ratings are less decline on these things every year with that formula. So it's um, you know, MTV music video awards. Uh, MTV owes its existence to rock acts putting it on the map. They don't. They won't put a rock act on there. If they do, it's 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 one and it's the Foo Fighters. I mean, it's <laughs> it's just as predictable as the nose on your face. So I think that that's um, to me a big part of the problem and the perception why that exists.
1: I recently saw. A bunch of new bands that I've been listening to for a few years now, the last uh, last few weeks here in Chicago. I had the pleasure of seeing The Warning, uh, a great band from Mexico that I think is, is going to be – I think they're going to be superstars before we know it. I had the pleasure of seeing Blacktop Mojo open up for, for Buck Cherry, a band out of Texas. And then I had uh, a, a great a great time seeing Classless Act, Joyous Wolf, and Dorothy – at the house of blues here in Chicago as well. And, you know, I've done over or close to 150 new music spotlights with these new bands. And they're, in my opinion, incredible. And I believe that the music that is coming out with these new bands are at the, in the same parallel as the new bands that were coming out in the eighties and the seventies, you know, there's never going to be another Van Halen. There's never going to be another Led Zeppelin, nor should there be right. But these bands, are really good. And a lot of the bands that I just mentioned, in fact, all of them don't play the tracks. They actually play the music when they're playing oh, yeah. live. Sure. What, what do you think, or why do you think that these new bands that have, have so much great material and great music, why can't they punch through? And only a very few do punch through with the current times in the industry.
2: Because, and this is my number one concern, Jay. When people ask me about the future and bands and the future of rock and all of that, th- this is my number one concern because I I agree with you. That all the, most of those bands you mentioned, I I know and like and have had on my show, and I agree that uh, that, that 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 the future is very very bright when it comes to new emerging bands. But I don't think that the, the, my bigger concern with music in general is, and when it comes to rock music especially, is I don't know if we're in a place now as a society and demographically where people have enough of a concern, interest, time, relationship with music For it to really hold a place in their life where they're going to seek it out, embrace it, pursue it, and want to be into it. I think that most people, uh, such short attention spans, and the relationship with music in general is totally different than the relationship I would have had with it when I was growing up or looking for new bands. Whereas I was uh, when I got a new band or got turned on to music or bought music, it was everything to me. It was like waiting in line for the record store. That record's going to come out tomorrow. I can't wait to get it. And now it's not like that at all. It's just don't think that, that people in general have the same relationship with music like, Uh, like I did, it doesn't hold the same importance. I mean, when I was a kid, you'd wait, you'd go to the record store, you'd wait in line for the door to open to get the record. You bought it, you smelled it, you held it, you read it, you did everything. It was like your life. You filed it with the other record. The way we get music now, most people get music now, not me, but most people it's like, you know, whatever streaming service, I like that. I don't like that. I'll click move on 30 seconds. It's just, there's just not as much. There's not as much focus given to 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 music and the importance of it in people's lives and I think that's a big problem and the other problem that I think is and, and this, this is another huge one I have this saying that I say often on the air from my radio show the good news is anybody can make music the bad news is anybody can make music and what i mean by that is with the rise of technology and the internet and the ability for anybody to put anything online the the you know you can do it with a record label you can do it without a record label because of that there's a lot of pros to that obviously anybody can make music that wants to there's a chance for everybody to be creative put something out there the downside is there's no more gatekeepers So so it used to be, if somebody handed me a CD or a cassette or an album, it means that they had made it to a certain point, that they had been vetted out. They got a record deal. There's money behind them. Something's happening. There was a producer that took a chance on them to create that because you couldn't have created that as recently as like 15 years ago, maybe, without those things. Now... You don't need any of that. I'm not a musician. I can't play, sing, write. But tomorrow I could create something on my computer and put it out to the world. And the problem is I'm not a guy that should be doing that because I have no talent. I have no ability. And if I'm doing it, I'm then mudding up the waters, I'm congesting the marketplace, and I'm making the, the pool way bigger. It, it was already extraordinarily hard to have success in the music industry, even with a record deal and a machine behind you. Now you've got that world and you've got an even larger world of just people pumping stuff out there or with nothing behind it. And it just makes it way harder for the consumer to who is engaged in music and does want to know about it to know what's good and what's worth their time. So the the giant pile just became a thousand times bigger. And the person who might be interested in hearing something off of that pile, his world, he's got a million other diversions in his world. And he has probably less of an interest in even where music sits in his life. So to me, that's the double whammy that really, really hurts.
1: Yeah, I agree. I've said this a lot. On the podcast, you know, to touch on a couple things that you said. One, you know, I'm a few years younger than you, but I grew up knowing that physical experience of buying music, that tangible piece that you could touch, the album cover, the liner notes. It was a babysitter for young rock bands when you'd buy an album on Friday, or I think it was Tuesdays back when we were growing up, and you'd sit with that album every night, you'd go in your room, your parents knew where you were because you were just, you know, absorbing this music. And I think rock music, above all other genres, really relied on that physical experience because of the album covers, because of the sense of wonder that you had with the music. And for whatever reason, they haven't been able to capture that since things have gone into streaming. The other thing that you touched on, too, is with the watered down music that you have on these streaming services everyone can put music out i've often said on this podcast that you need to have someone in the room besides your mom and your girlfriend telling you how great you sound right you need to have someone telling you that sounds like shit no you're not no that, that doesn't sound right that doesn't sound good that doesn't happen anymore because people think it's the it's the voice in american idol syndrome where they can just go in and, and 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 sing a song or whatever without any without any working out of that song right you know an athlete works out to become a better running back or a better baseball hitter a lot of people don't think that they've got to go work themselves out on stage work a song through before that song is ready to be recorded right and kind of touch on something recent that happened when a band like Santa Cruz goes to the Whiskey Go Go And is an absolute train wreck because they're lip syncing the whole song. Rock fans see that, and it it basically labels new rock as that train wreck because that's a representation of of music, whether it's bad or what is bad. But it turns off a lot of people because, like, I don't want to listen to guys lip syncing. Is that what rock music is now? So it even adds to that industry push to redefine new rock music. There's all these other things happening. But a lot of that stuff is, is like you said, is reality for rock music.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think, unfortunately, the, the one part of what you said that I don't know if I, I personally agree with, unfortunately, is the last part you said, because I don't, I don't think people care enough at all about who's actually in bands and who isn't, who's actually playing live or singing live and who isn't. I think that that's, you know, needless to say, that's a a soapbox issue for me. And I think it's an incredibly important issue, but it comes from more of a case of just, you know, a live show should be live in my opinion. Wow. What a, what a concept. But so, so, so that, but, but I, it blows my mind how many people in any genre of music seemingly look another way at that. And I think that's incredibly dangerous. And it's rampant in pop music. It's rampant. I, I, I saw a v- video of the pop artist Dua Lipa, and she was playing in an arena to people who probably paid a thousand or more a ticket to watch her sing. They paid a, over a thousand dollars or more to watch her sing. That's all she wanted to see is her sing her songs live. She dropped her mic for over a minute. The lead vocal just kept pouring out of the PA while she was frantically looking for her mic on the stage. When she finally got the mic back in her hand, the audience applauded. I I was dumbfounded by that. Now, I understand that's in the pop world, but we can't have that happen in rock. And in the pop, I, I just couldn't believe that the audience applauded. It's like, thank you. I just dropped five grand to listen to your computer and you were just exposed and we're going to celebrate you more. It's, it's that mentality is utterly, completely mind blowing to me on so many levels. So that that's one issue, but as far as rock music and it's not getting the love and where does it go and and all of that, I think the, the, the lack of needing a record label I think, I think the, the, the p- most younger people's diversions being a million things, playing video games online with their friends, uh, whatever it may be, everything's disposable and at the t- tip of their fingers. I mean, I have two kids. They, they, they don't they, – they listen to music. They'll click around, listen to some stuff. Now, they play in their school band, which is cool, but, but they don't have – I mean, in, my daughter's 18, my son is 14. In, in their lifetime, they've probably each asked me to go to one concert. They're not, the kids just, that's not their thing. My son sits for hours at night playing some game online with some kid that he never met somewhere else. So I think that people's, younger people's mentality of what's important to them and where their focus is, is very, very different. And then from a creative standpoint, you've just got this glut of stuff out there. Every day, Jay, every day somebody's coming to me. This is the band that's going to save rock. Check out this band, my kid's band, my husband's band, my friend's band, old band, young band, whatever. And because you don't – it used to be they should – those people would be going to a record label and trying to pass through the gates – And then when that music got to me, someone who can do something with it, it was like, okay, this has already been vetted out. There's a producer. There's an A&R guy. There's a record company. These guys spent six years trying to get this deal. Okay, I'm going to give it a shot. And then you say, okay, it's good, bad. It's going to sink or swim. All of that's off the table now. All of it. And 95% of what's out there is just not ready for prime time and it's just bogged the system it's like finding a needle in a haystack for someone who wants to take the time to try to find a good band now the flip side to all of that is extraordinarily rare but there is the time where that system actually yields a good band that gets success and as far as new bands the example of that would be dirty honey just because say that's that. a band that's done well and gotten radio and still doesn't have a record deal and doesn't want a record deal. And that's a band that I was in on the ground floor. Now, here's a very important thing that I always have to preface when, preface when it comes to talking about that band, who I know extremely well, and I know their entire team and all of that. They, they, it is true that they don't have a record deal, but they actually have a major management company behind them and most management companies these days in the music industry almost act as de facto labels. Most of them are staffed by people who worked at labels who have a big history at labels and most of them have almost a, a, an arm that operates as a label and they have that. So I'm not saying that they are some doing this out of the garage by any measure, but they were able to, play the game, trying to get a deal, couldn't get one. Okay. We're going to do this anyway. And they got a tremendous amount of traction and got management that got them to the next level. So I I just think that for all of the good of, of of having that wide open aspect of the world now where anybody can make a video, anybody can make a, a recording, anybody can make a broadcast whether it's a podcast, a YouTube channel, anything, great, because there's some good in that, and there's some that becomes really, really diluted and makes it extraordinarily hard to find an audience. Anyone can do it. Finding an audience and a following is a whole different story.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree 100%. I've had Dirty Honey on or members of Dirty Honey on a few times on the podcast, and I asked John Notto, would you ever – Sign a record deal. And he shrugged his shoulders and he said, If it makes sense. And, you know, having that conversation with him and learning how they view the importance of having a good team around them, whether it's their publicist or whether it's their management company, I've told a lot of new bands, focus on a management company instead of a record deal. Because if you have a really good management company, it almost, I mean, if you put out a record on a label, that doesn't mean people are going to hear it. Right. I mean, the budget for a rock band right now is probably not too much, but if you get a good management company that has the right connections, you can go way farther with that management company than you can with a record label that has really no interest in marketing you.
2: So, right. But that's all, that's all really, unfortunately, easier said than done because, because of the way of what we just talked about and what I just talked about the, 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 the management companies, I mean they're inundated they're look, all these guys looking for guidance. everyone's looking for a chance to to get a leg up and have a fighting chance. It's not about getting a record deal anymore even It's about how can I get to the next level? How can I get enough people of a, enough of an audience so that I can maybe get a booking agent and then I can tour and I can go out Here's one other quick thing that nobody talks about when it comes to this issue. And it's, it's, uh, I think it's interesting and I think it's really important. Most established bands with followings don't take out unknown young bands for support anymore. And that's a big thing. If you go back to the days when that sounded like the old man, like, remember, you know, I remember the days, but. Back in the seventies, even the eighties, when and, and the nineties to some degree, when, when bands went on tour, when an arena act or a amphitheater act went on tour, usually there was one opening act and it was a new unknown band or a band on the rise. That is incredibly rare now. Now almost always the opening act for a big tour is going to be a band that people know maybe had a hit or two, have some history. And why is that? Because the whole industry has shifted towards live. It's not music is a lost leader. Now music is like a promotional tool. Nobody even cares about actually selling music anymore. It's about trying to get people to actually listen to it, which is another huge thing. Nobody talks about The the idea of, of trying to sell music is gone. Okay, you might have a few people like me that might buy the CD still or people that might be on the vinyl kit. Great. But by and large, the model is not about trying to sell music at all. Just know we exist. Just click on it and listen to it. And then if you like it, maybe you'll come to the show. So when the whole focus shifted towards making money live VIPs, merch, concert tickets. It became way too risky for known big acts to take unknown bands because they wanted to have assurance to help sell tickets. And an unknown band doesn't help selling tickets. So by, as a result, you got way more double bills, way more package tours of two or three bands together that everybody knows and way less Big name act with unknown opener. And if you do get an unknown young opener, usually it's third build because they want to put a little more meat in the second slot. And let's be honest, when you're third build and you're going on at 6 30 on a Tuesday, there is nobody in the building to see you. And if we're also being honest, a lot of times those bands are paying to play. There's another little dirty secret nobody knows about the touring industry. It's called a buy-on and there are tons of bands that charge a band to open for them. They pay, they don't get paid to play. They pay the headlining band to play and it happens at every level from the highest level to the clubs. It's happening right now. As we speak, it's ha- it's been going on for years. So there's that mechanism too. You might say, how, how did that young band get a chance to open for, a band in a club that might be worth 200 people as a headliner, but somebody is paying that band to open because even for that band to play in front of 200 people is more meaningful than playing in front of four that they would draw on their own. So the whole model is completely changed. And I think that not having those slots where artists can say, Hey, I love this new up-and-coming band. They just put out their first record, put them on as the opener. They're going to go on at 8. We're going to go on at 8.45. There's going to be a ton of people in the building to see them. Our audience is going to get to know them. That That's incredibly rare now, and it didn't used to be, and I think that plays a huge role.
1: I agree 100%, and there's three examples that kind of are different parts of the spectrum when you talk about that. Number one, Judas Priest came – did a tour with Uriah Heap two years ago, I think it was. And my biggest thing was Uriah Heap is not going to help Judas Priest sell more tickets, right? Not once, no. And and I'm like, why doesn't Judas Priest have a a new band open up for them? It's going to be the same crowd. It's going to be no difference in ticket sales. Maybe a smidge, but not much. Then I think of Deep Purple, who about three years ago took out Joyous Wolf which was great for a classic rock band to bring a young band out in that. I don't know if Julius Wolf had to pay to be in that bill. I don't think they did, but, you know, who knows? Then you have a band like Kiss, who always talks about all the artists that opened for them. The first they were, We were the first band to take them out, and this new band here, Maiden, D, ACDC, whoever, and they got a fucking painter opening up for them on their end-of-the-road tour. It's like, really? You didn't want to pay a new band? To, 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 to have, you know, further your legacy of being that band and always took new bands out, it is a bunch of BS. And I think more bands need to do that. I was so happy when Tuck Smith got the original slot on the stadium tour. He's no longer on it, but now it's Classless Act. I'm, even though it's early in the day, you know, hopefully there'll be some exposure because Classless Act is is a great live act that I recently saw. But it is frustrating. I agree with you. Um it's yeah, I
2: talked talk to I talked to Tuck about that, too, because I was I was uh, a huge fan of the record he made that, unfortunately, is not coming out. It never yeah. did. But I, I, I talked to him about that. I actually had him on my show, and I said, look, I, I mean, most people don't even know there's... To this day, they don't know there's a fifth act on the stadium tour. And I said, it's great you got that. I said, but let's be honest. I mean, especially what are you going to be going on at four o'clock, four thirty, playing a half an hour, especially on a weeknight? I mean, you're, you're not going to, there's not going to be anybody in there. And he said, well, if it's a 40,000 seat stadium and there's a thousand people in there, a thousand more than I would have been playing to. And I get that. He's right. I mean, there's a, there's a logic there, but even I went to see Wolfgang Van Halen open for guns and roses. And I went to see guns and roses and Wolf was on the bill. And, uh, he went. I mean, he was the direct support to Guns N' Roses, and it was in Vegas. But by the time he went on, initially the 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 stadium was at least three quarters empty, and I and that's Wolf Van Halen. So that's the other thing, and that goes back to people's interest in these artists and taking the time to go to want to explore and even learn about new music and where their attention is, because the vast majority of people who go to a show would rather stay in the parking lot and pound a couple more beers than go in and actually take a chance to maybe discover something new. So there's, there's a lot of, there's, there's problems across the board. It's the industry, it's it's the media, it's the way things are. uh, It's the, it's the lack of gatekeepers in music. And also some of it lands on the fans. They've got to, If they truly care uh, enough about rock music, and that's where I think there's a problem that they don't, most of them in the mainstream world. But if they do, you've got to take the chance. You've got to take the time to go and explore some new music, whether it's clicking around on the Internet and or, or getting in there to actually watch a band that maybe you didn't hear of. That's opening for a band that you went to go see.
1: Did you take a music appreciation class when you were in high school or junior high?
2: No, I, I didn't take any classes or anything music related at all. I was a horrible student and <laughs> well, I, I, I just wanted to get out of high school as badly as possible so I could get on with it and get on to what I wanted to do. And I mean, I did write my high school newspaper music column. I did dabble in radio while I was still in high school, but my, my whole world was, was music and school was just st- something standing in the way of me getting to where I wanted to go.
1: The reason why I ask that is because when I was in grade school I took a music appreciation class or they they kind of forced you to take it. And I do think that there's something to a kid learning how music is made and the instruments that are played and the work that needs to go in to playing that instrument and being a master of that instrument. To like you said earlier, applauding an artist who has still has the the vocal track going and and then picking up the mic. I don't know if a lot of people in, or a lot of young people in this generation appreciate what goes into being a a incredible guitar player or an incredible singer or or whatever. I know Dave Grohl's mentioned the whole American Idol thing where people think they just show up for an audition and boom they're on TV and they're making music. It doesn't happen that way, and I think it's skewed the younger generation's view on the, on that importance of making music.
2: Yeah. I, I've never thought of it like that. And I, I'm not, I don't, I don't think you're wrong. I just think that it's, I just think that it's more people are diverted in a million directions. They've got a million other priorities that look, we all can agree. The internet was obviously changed the world and everyone's lives on so many levels and the impact that it had on music on so many levels is very, very great Uh, from the distribution of it to the sales of it, to the relationship of it, to the way people see and hear it. And there's a lot of good in that. And like anything, I mean, it's two edged sword. There's a lot of wreckage from that. And I think that some of the things we're talking about absolutely is some of the wreckage.
1: I recently had a conversation with a guitar player from a relatively newer band, probably out within the last decade. And uh, offline, he told me that he was, you know, he's, they're based in Nashville. And an artist asked him to write, a, you know, write some music with him. And he came to the studio with his guitar, was all ready to go, pulls his guitar out. And there's all these people sitting in a circle. And there's a guy with his laptop they called the Beats guy. And he's like, what do you mean the beats guy? What what are we doing? He's like, well, that's the guy who writes, you know, who does like the electronic beats to what we're recording. And he's like, well, I don't write music like that. I start music with a riff an idea and I just build it from there. So even, you know, music city Nashville is starting to embrace that mentality of, you know, the beats and and electronic stuff and not real instruments. And it's just, it's crazy in the direction that it's going because, Rock, what makes rock and roll great are all those pillars that it's built on. And we keep getting farther and farther away from it, or I shouldn't say we, people like you and me and people who are real rock fans, keep, you know, the, the, the people that are, have that narrative keep drawing people farther and farther away what makes rock music great and trying to redefine it. You know, and the last point I'll, I'll make to you as well is the lack of rock stars, Right? The lack of a guy that your parents don't want you to listen to. You want they want you to turn the TV off. I remember when David Lee Roth, you know, was big when I was growing up. My parents hated him, but it made me like him even more. And I think there's a lot of young frontmen with a lot of potential, like Nick Reese from Joyous Wolf. Obviously, Luke Spiller is an amazing frontman with the with the struts, and there's others. But I think there need I think they need to embrace the rock and roll personality of being a little bit controversial and not caring what people think because other genres do that. And like the machine gun Kelly, he doesn't care if there's an article about him and his wife drinking each other's blood. You know, it's like, why, why have we stopped being rock stars? I, I don't understand that.
2: Well, I think that, I think that traces back to the media also and the internet. I think that's directly related to that because there's two, we're in a society now that is so hypersensitive, that is so pounce and looking to take somebody down and cancel and this and that. And I think that that's a big, big problem because it really suppresses people's ability to express themselves. And and they're so worried about blowback and the, the, the ramifications of anything that they may say or do that doesn't fall in line with whatever the current narrative and mandate is in the world. And when these people, when somebody sees the the world as it is now, where somebody just gives a differing opinion and the Internet comes down on them and the world comes down on them and there's people that will campaign to have them fired or canceled or whatever, it's just, it's not worth it to them. It's not worth it to take that on. Uh, you're going to have to really find if somebody at one point that literally says they give zero fucks and bring it on. And there's very few that are going to do that. Look at, I'm not saying this is a rock star thing, but this just happened today. And I talked about it on my show. There's an article that came out yesterday on Taylor Hawkins and Matt Cameron was in it from Soundgarden and Chad Smith from the Chili Peppers both commented and were interviewed. And I read the article, and I thought it was fine, and I thought there was nothing controversial, and I thought there was absolutely nothing in it that they said that was remotely wrong or over the top or out of line. They both had put out massive retractions since the article came out. I apologize for being in it. I apologize for anyone I hurt or offended. I apologize to the family, the band of- I, I, what I, I read the thing again, I said, what, what's in this? That's the, that you're, what's there to apologize for? Like there's literally nothing in this that's inflammatory in any way to me. And, but that's the world because I'm sure somebody said, Hey, you probably shouldn't have talked yet. Nobody wanted you talking or whatever. And suddenly it's like out of context, everything's wrong. This is not what I said. And I apologize to this person and that person. Like. What are you apologizing for? Like, what did you say? That he was burnt out and considering not wanting to play as much or asking to reduce the workload? Big deal. I a, can tell you a million stories about that from other artists. So that's just it, though. Nobody, everyone's afraid to talk. I, I just, I just earlier today had Lars Ulrich on my radio show. And I did a debate today on my radio show. Ride the lightning. Versus Master Puppets. And it's just, they're both great records. And it's just a fun thing. I, I i know Lars well enough to text him. He's a friend for a long time. And I said, hey, I told him what I was doing. And I said, uh, you want to chime in on this? It'll be fun. And he said, yeah, give me the number. I'll call in. And he's the best. He's the best. He's, he's still a fan at his heart. He's, I love him. But I, he won't he won't pick between the two records and he made them because he's like, Oh, if I say one, then all the fans are gonna be like, if I say master of puppets then the next thing, you know, on the internet is going to be Lars Lauer doesn't like ride the lightning, which isn't true. So there's so, everyone has so many guards up at so many different levels that the idea of being this reckless, let it fly, controversial newsmaking person is is almost impossible because they're all worried about blowback, the internet, and we all know people get real creative on the internet and fabricate things, and God knows I know that, make things up and edit things and out of context. So it's really, um, I think that plays into it in a huge way of the concern for all of that and just being like, yeah, I'm just gonna play it safe.
1: Yeah, I know. I, I post every now and then like my my favorite top ten guitar players. And if I don't have someone in the list, there'll be there'll be comments, what you don't like this guitar player? I'm like, hey man, you make your list. Okay. I've got mine. Okay. And like, I'm like, and that doesn't mean I don't like that guitar player. I'm just listing my top 10 favorite at the current time. It's like, why do I have to explain that? Make your list. I got mine. We're all happy. It doesn't need to be this way. It seems like the, you know, everything, you know, has got to be an issue. There's issues that like are made up. Someone asked me what my favorite Led Zeppelin album is. I say physical graffiti. What? You don't like Led Zeppelin too? I didn't say that you asked me what my favorite album was. It's just, it's craziness. Um, Yeah. You know, I I don't know. Um, It just seems like we're getting farther and farther away of just being, allowing people to think what they want and say what they want. That isn't, I mean, I understand people getting on someone, if they say something hateful or whatever, but when you're talking about music and you say something, what's your favorite? I mean, why do you got to get blowback from that? I don't understand.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll never forget, as a Rush fan, I'll never forget talking about how I checked out on Rush when they got synth in the synth period with the 80s and there was a lack of guitar, and I checked out on records like Presto and Signals and all of that. And I'm the biggest Rush fan, and I I support them, and they're friends, and like a segment of their fan base went crazy at me. I'm like, What? And then I go to watch this movie about rush and here's Alex Lifeson in the movie saying the same (laughs) exact things that I said and agreeing with me. So I I don't cave to it. I, I, and I agree with you completely. It's like, of course there's a line and you don't want to, I would never breach a confidence from someone. If somebody told me something's off the record, I will never go public with it. If, if, um, it, it, you know I never yeah you know, not, nothing's damaging or inflammatory or what have you uh or, 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 or there's it, it, it' does not you have to be a genius to realize where the line is and uh so that's a totally different thing but to have debate dialogue discussion opinion that's if we if we can't have that then we got a problem and look you're talking to somebody that does a daily rock talk show live on national radio every day i i can't cave to that i have the most dull boring show ever if i if i didn't go on today and said you know what guys i don't think we're going to do ride versus puppets because it's just you know they're both so great and i don't want to make sure you know, i don't want james might not like if somebody said that Call of Cthulhu's not good. I don't know. That would be the most ridiculous thing ever. But there are people that think like that.
1: 2022, I've been listening to the new Goodbye June album, See Where the Night Goes, and the new Dorothy. Those are probably my two favorite albums, Gifts from the Holy Ghost. What are you listening to that's new that uh, that you're liking?
2: Uh, well to think as far as uh, new new stuff that the Dorothy record is real real good um, I had her on recently the I am hip to that band the warning that I actually was at a Wolfgang dirty honey show in Vegas and they were actually third build on that although I miss them I know the guy that signed them that is uh They're super young, obviously. So it'll be interesting to see how they do and the the course they take. I I like uh, I like what Jared James Nichols does. He's put out some new music recently. I think he's uh, he's somebody to certainly keep an eye on, and I'm excited about what he does. There's a there's a bunch. I mean, off the top of my head, I can't think. When I think of newer bands, I still look at like the last ten years uh the, the the latest album from the pretty reckless was my album of the year last year when it came out
1: that was mine too
2: I, I think it's an it's an amazing record not a new band but a band in the last 10 years that i think is one of my favorites by a wide margin is the, is uh, rival sons uh i love i love the struts but the the struts for me walk a bit of a line because they dabble in pop and there's a lot of pop elements to what they do. And although I do like that for the melodic sense, I, and I've, I've told Luke this, uh, like, let's, let's bring up Adam, let's, let's, let's rock more and let's bring more guitars into the mix. And on the last album, on Strange Days, they did. They, they, I thought that that was, that was the record I was kind of hoping that they would, that they would make. And, uh, yeah, so, so they, 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 and that's kind of smart what they're doing because they appeal to a couple different bases. So maybe that'll help them get, get even bigger, but I do think it's a little bit of a dangerous line. Cause I think sometimes they play the pop game a little too strong for my taste, but I love them. I think they're a great live. And when you talk about rock stars, I think the closest that we have out there from a guy who walks it, talks it is flamboyant is Luke and he delivers because he's good as well. And he can sing. So Just off the top of my head, those are a few things that I'm hip to and that I've been listening to. But I got to tell you, I mean, I'm in the same boat as some of the people that I mentioned earlier in the sense that I have so many things coming at me, whether it's emails or tweets or posts or just callers calling into my show. Every day there's a couple callers that will call my show and say, Eddie, you got to check out this band. you got to check out that band. And I just don't have the time to do it all. Uh, and I do it for a living, and I can't keep up with it. So it's it's very very uh, difficult in that regard. And I'm sure there's a few bands that are newer and younger that I love that I'm spacing on and forgetting that when we hang up, I'm going to say, "Damn it!" But uh, but the, the, that's some of the stuff off the top of my head.
1: Yeah, I I, I agree with you on Lou Spiller for the for the Struts, um, fantastic live. Absolutely fantastic, and had the pleasure of taking my son to see him or see the Struts with Nick Perry. And my son walked out, and he goes, "That was phenomenal. That was incredible." I'm like, "Yeah." I'm like, "That's that's how it's done." But there's a band from Canada called the Crownlands, which is just fantastic. Two piece. That's band. a two piece, right? Yeah, right. Great. The thing that makes the warning. I got to so be, be
2: honest with you. I got to be honest with you. I got to be honest with you about two piece bands, and I said this publicly. I, I I always have an issue with two-piece bands just because I feel like I feel like it's a gimmick. <laughs> I'm always like, just get another guy, just get another musician, just get another person. There, like you watch some of these bands and they got, they got like, they they've got their hands in 15 positions. They're playing with their elbows, their toes, their feet. Like, just get another guy.
1: Well, that's the thing. So that's I want to see the Crownlands, because I want to see how they play that stuff live, because it's phenomenal.
2: Well, I just hope it's not, and I don't know that band that well, so I'm not saying that, they, that that's the, it's the case with them, but I just hope it's not, the, I hope the answer to that is not a bunch of computers, because right. that's, that's. You know, I just saw a band on the, I was on a progressive rock cruise, and I just saw a band that was called... Um, Pain of Salvation, and really good band, heavy. Oh, by the way, there's a few for you. So Haken, if the the heavier, more progressive side, Haken, real good. And I came across a young band called Clone just recently, and had them on my show. K L O N E, and they were they were uh, heavy and cool as hell. And it just got announced today; their guitar player just got a gig subbing for the guitarist in Gojira. So there, there's two that just came to me but, and that I just had on my show and just saw. But, but anyway, this, this man, Pain of Salvation, also very cool. They, they and they've got a good following in the, in the, in the harder rock progressive world and their guitar, their guitar player singer was on stage. and I was watching them and I realized uh, while I'm watching them. I said, there's, wait, there's no bass player. And in the progressive world, I mean, you're, you've really, that's all about the art of playing. So I'm like, they can't possibly be playing the tracks. And sure enough, the, uh, the singer said to the audience, Hey, just so you know, obviously we don't have a bass player. Our guy got COVID or something and we've got a track running for the bass, just to be clear. And, but, but apparently that happened like a year ago. So I was like, okay, so why don't you have a bass player now? And then I saw this band called Fever 333, which is more of like a Rage Against the Machine type thing, and they don't have a bass player either, and they just don't have one, and they use a track. So it's just – I forget why I brought that up, but it's just crazy to me that – well, we're talking about two-piece bands, that there are bands that are of the mentality of like, well, nobody – if nobody's questioning that this isn't fully live and we can save money on a salary, yeah. let's just do a one piece band. Let's just do a no piece band. But I, I just, it's nothing against two piece bands. There's I, I just, for me personally, I always just look at it and it's just, it just comes off like a novelty. I, I just, I just always feel like there should be a minimum of three people in, in a band, but I, that's just me. I, I'm not saying anything, they're not valid or anything like that. Some, some two pieces, my understanding is they, they are able to recreate everything, but it just feels like it's a bit of a circus act versus just coming out and knocking it
1: out. Yeah. There's a band called the cold stairs that I like. That's a two piece that uh, they just added a bass player. But even when I would see them live, the guitar player uniquely had a bottom end on his tone with his, with his guitar, but they're a fantastic band. I know Joe Bonamassa is a huge fan of theirs too, as well. But as as I was going to say, though, the warning is really interesting because their fan base already is very loyal and very rabid. And they make really good music. I mean, when I heard their EP, you forget that the youngest member is 17. They're all sisters. I think the oldest is 22. Just phenomenal and and, in great depth with with their arrangements and everything. They're a band that I just saw recently that I think they're a band to watch out for in terms of getting into mainstream because they have they they have the they have a the, a big huge Latin audience and even their North American audience like in America is just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, now there's
2: a good buzz on them. I know the guy who signed them. They've got a real record deal, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that develops. There's also a band with uh, called Liliac that has a very engaged fan base very young, started out doing a lot of covers. Now they're doing original music as well. Yeah. And they're quite good. And they, 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 they also have a base. I know what you're talking about with the warnings base. There's some of these artists that have a base where they're very engaged and they're out there kind of campaigning and pushing and look, that's really important right now because I just talked about it earlier. I mean, nothing is more important than trying to let people know you exist and getting it out there to the world. And if you're able to, uh, you're able to do that and get your message out. You need all the all the soldiers you can to help spread the word, to just even create awareness. I mean, there's been times people have called into my radio show and just blurted out a band real quick, and I actually did take time to go check them out, and that's how I got turned on to it. Or I'll hear from people in my audience say, hey, Eddie, you mentioned whatever band. Dorothy, she was on my show a couple months ago. And it's, I, I've got calls all the time. People say, "Hey, thank you for having her on because now I know about her. I bought the record. I like it." So that all of that is more important than ever, wherever it comes from, because of the glut of stuff that's out there.
1: Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. What um, if you were to say one band that is the face of the emerging rock scene? Who would you pick?
2: Um. Uh, that's a good question. It, it may be somebody that wears a mask. Uh, Tobias from Ghost. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's the biggest emerging rock band that we've had in a long time. I I've been honest about this. I root for them. I like them. I've had Tobias on my show. There are people that really love this new record. I haven't spent enough time with it yet, but they are, I mean, they've just announced another arena act. I mean, when was the last time a band, a new band that's been around, what, not even 10 years has graduated to headlining arenas? So that's whether you like them or not. And I know that's, there's people that love them and people that don't get it. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle because there's a that's another band that has a huge pop sensibility to what they do. That's a real interesting thing. You've got you've got metal fans worshiping them and stage diving to music that at times sounds like ABBA. So it's like with a with a very dark demonic look. So it's just such a weird comp, uh, comp, uh, composition that I don't think anybody could have ever thought would have worked to this level. But it's clearly working, and it's clearly the biggest of the emerging rock bands, I think, by a, by a pretty,
1: pretty wide margin. I made the comment about their new album that it sounds like something you'd hear on the Karate Kid soundtrack.
2: You know. I haven't spent enough time with it to listen to it, but they definitely unapologetically are a pop rock thing with, with a, 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 I guess you could say, a dark, heavy metal look and obviously a concept and a theme and a big production and it's worked. It's worked. I mean, that, that song dance macabre that they had, when that came out, that was beyond pop. And here it is, you know, there's Kirk Hammett bopping his head, singing and dancing to it. I'm like, and then I went to see them live and there's people stage diving to it. It is still an unbelievable thing that I can't quite put my head around like the, the, the way it's working.
1: But it's clearly working before we go um, before we wrap up, is there anything we can do, you know, with the platforms we have that can help expose new music or is it just, you know, a cycle that we're in that like in the early eighties, when it revived itself from the disco era, is it just time? Is it just the cycle?
2: I mean, I, I don't really know. I, I, I don't, I think I think you doing a podcast or anybody taking time to talk about and promote and discuss with their audience new bands is important. I think that uh, it's great that you do that. I, I I think that because it's that's challenging too because it's just like uh, an artist that goes and puts their set list together. The most people want the hits. The biggest audience is for the hits, which is talking about the old stuff or covering or interviewing the artists with all this history and, and what have you. So that, the, you know, you got to kind of walk a line there with that. But I think that any outlets that support and give new music, even if it's, even if it's not playing it, like I currently do, Eight shows a week, and of the eight that I do, five, six of them are live, and five and a half of them are talk. But they're talk and interview about music. And when I do my show, I will tell people because actually this is interesting on XM where my shows are, most of them I I do. I'm on the, my show, my daily show on volume is on the talk uh, talk and entertainment portion of satellite radio. And what what listeners may not know is that there are different rules in satellite radio for playing music. Much like in a podcast, you can't play music at the risk of being hit for publishing. On satellite radio, there are two different sides. The music side, which of course plays nothing but music. Talking entertainment side is, is a um, has restrictions on how much music you can play without clearances. And for me, that restriction is about 45 seconds of a song without the company having to account for it because it's on the entertainment side. I bring all this up because if I talk about new music and I talk about a band, I'll go into a break and say, okay, here's a little bit of whatever song, Holy Ghost by Dorothy. And i will tell people that's who it is and say, if you like this, then go get it, whether it's downloading it, whether it's streaming it, whether it's buying it, because you, you're playing to the upside there where, okay, anybody can... Access music really easily right now. Most people are subscribed to some streaming service and can click and hear anything. So there's that thing that I talked about earlier where we're guiding them. I'm guiding them towards something cool that they might want to check out. I don't need to play them the full song. I don't need to, to, to occasionally I will, but I don't need to play them four minutes of the song. I'm going to give you 40 seconds. You're going to know from that 40 seconds if it's up your alley. And if it is, right after I get off the air, you don't have to go to a record store. I wish you did, but you don't have to. You can just go right to your, your Spotify, your Pandora, your Apple, click, and you can hear the whole song or the whole record. So I think you talking about it, me talking about it, us doing this right now, whatever it is, it's it's not so much about the ability to let people hear it, which is great if you can do it. It's, it's, it's more so about creating that awareness and saying, yeah, hey, I got an audience of people that like most of the same stuff I like. Here's something you may like as well. So I think all of that is 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 vital in just trying to get the word out about some of these vets.
1: Eddie, it's been a blast.
2: Jay, great talking to you. Thank you for having me. And uh, I wish you nothing but the best. Talk to you soon.
1: Yeah, we got to do this again. We didn't even touch on the stuff in the UK and Europe and and, and and the emerging rock scene in those countries. I mean, there's so much to talk about.
2: Yeah, for sure. One of these days, we'll do it again. Thank you for the time.
1: All right, everybody. I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks. Talk to you soon. Stay strong. Take care of each other. Thanks.